0: Anybody familiar with this? I'm sure most of us are familiar. WD-40. We've all got a can of this hanging around somewhere in our garage. You know, I, I don't know about you. I don't know what you use it for. Um, I, squeaky door hinges. I use it all the time for squeaky door hinges. Or, or maybe there's a, uh, a a bolt or a nut that's really hard to get off. You know, you kind of put that on there. Uh, if you're feeling really kind of uh, bold, you might spray it under your arms. It kind of makes you smell kind of good. I, I mean, I don't know. It, it's a great thing to have, and I don't know if you know anything about it, but uh, WD-40, it's called Water Displacement. It, what it means is Water Displacement 40th. Water Displacement 40th. And, and what happened, it was in 1953, a guy by the name of Norm Langer, Larson, what do you want to do? He wanted to create a formula that got rid of water, water displacement. They wanted to get rid of water because water creates waste. So they created this WD-40, water displacement 40th, water displacement 40th time. In other words, he, in developing this, took 40 times for him to be able to, to bring this formula to fruition so that it actually worked so that people could use it and benefit from it. and It's a lot of tenacity, don't you think? A lot of patience, a lot of perseverance. I mean, you didn't give up on 20th time. You didn't give up on the 25th time. You didn't give up on the 39th time. You persevered to the 40th time to be able to create this formula that actually is used now all over the world. It's very, very prevalent all over the world, and people use this for a variety of reasons. It benefits those who... working on things so so how does this wd 40 40th relate to our topic this morning relates this way god wants us to be patient people you know we're not used to waiting we don't like to wait some of you even now are going looking at your watch oh man how long is he gonna go how long is he he gonna is he actually gonna go 35 minutes is he gonna go for you know we it's built into our lives Especially as Westerners. We're used to having things immediately. We don't like to wait in line. I went to the Social Security office the other day because i got to get another Social Security card. You go in there and you're wearing a mask and you're you're number nine, C9. You look at the board and you go, oh man, they're on C6. I've got to wait. We're we're not used to waiting. But what God wants us to do, He wants us to realize this, is that part of the Christian faith, part of our life is spent waiting. We are waiting. We are waiting in life. There's a lot of things that we're waiting for. You know, we can't just presume on God and say, you know what? I'm going to create this environment where God, I want you to simply do all that I want you to do. I've got my plans. I've got my purposes. I know what I want in life. You want me to be planning out. And what we want to do is we want to make our plans and we want God to ordain our plans, if you will. Let me ask you something. What are you waiting for? Maybe some of you are waiting to go to school. Maybe some of you are waiting to start a job. Maybe some of you are waiting to retire. Your parents, moms, you're probably waiting for school to start, right? Yeah, I would imagine that, obviously. But what are you waiting for? You're waiting for the salvation of someone who's close to you, someone near? Are you waiting for God to change the circumstances of your life, if you will? There's a problem when we become impatient in life, when we presume on God, when we think we know better than God. There's a Chinese proverb, and it goes something like this It says, The moment of patience may ward off great disaster. One moment of impatience may ruin a whole life. I can't tell you how many examples that I could give you of in a moment of impatience, in a moment of panic, in a moment of reacting to a certain situation, life was radically different for a, per- for a person in the context of their life. And what I want to do this morning is I, I want to go through a couple of examples of some uh, of people who grew impatient with God. And I want to just draw your attention to three people, Abraham, Aaron, and then I want to look at Saul, and then I want to look at what what does the Bible have to say about patience, and listen, there's a lot the Bible has to say about us being patient, I mean, there's so much that we could draw on this, but what I've tried to do because of time and all the things that were going on, I've tried to do my best to reduce it to a couple of principles this morning, and that's kind of where we're going to go, so let's just take a look at a couple of examples of people who grew impatient, the first one is Abraham. Now, Abraham, uh, God appeared to Abram and he said, listen, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a father of many nations. I'm going I'm to bless your line, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be the father of many nations and you're going to have this, this wonderful generation of people ultimately going to believe in you. And, and later, Abram, he, he went to, to, to God and he said, God, guess what's going to happen in my life? El, El- Eliezer of Damascus, he's going to get all of my stuff because I don't have any children. We don't have any children yet. We're getting older and older, and we don't have any children. In Genesis chapter 15, God came to him, and this is what he said. He said, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man, Eliezer, will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. God had promised Abraham, listen, you're going to have a son. He's going to come to you. Now, will you rest in me? Will you trust in me? So they waited. You're one, no son. You're two, no son. You're three, no son. Year four, oh, surely by year five. Year six, year seven, ten years. They're waiting, waiting. But, but God, you gave me this promise. God, this is the plan. You said this is gonna happen. And Sarah finally got so frustrated at what was going on. She concocted a plan. She says, listen, I, what I want you to do is I want you to go in. I want you to sleep with Hagar. God has withheld a son from us. I want you to go and I want you to sleep with Hagar. And that's what, that's what Abram did. Ishmael was born. And because of that disobedience, because of presuming on God, all kinds of problems happened in Abram's life, Abraham's life, because they were simply not waiting to, to rest and to trust in God for his purpose and for his plans. Life of Aaron. God instructed Moses, listen, I want you to go on Mount Sinai. I want you to spend some time with me. What I'm going to do is you're getting ready to go into the promised land. And I'm going to give you all these principles. I'm going to give you these laws to, to govern your life. I want you to go into the promised land. I want you to tell them to all of these people. So Moses is up on Mount Sinai. He's in this, this wonderful place where he's meeting with the Lord. And all, this, all, all down below, chaos is reigning. The people begin to presume, where is this Moses guy? What happened to him? He was leading us. He was the one that God used to bring us out of Egypt. What's happened to him? And so they confronted Aaron. They went to Aaron and said, what happened to this guy by the name of Moses? Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. This is what the people said. Come, let us make gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to them. And rather than Aaron saying, listen, what we need to do, God brought us out of Egypt, Moses up on the mountain, he's going to come down, let's just wait, and let's wait and trust in him. People presume, and they get angry, and they get upset. And so Aaron says, listen, bring me all of your gold jewelry. And he fashions all the gold jewelry, melts it down, and he creates this golden calf. And they end up worshiping this golden calf, thinking that this is the God who's going to help us in the future. And simply because of their disobedience, because of Aaron's disobedience, because of Aaron's presumption, because of Aaron not resting and trusting in God's purpose and plan, he leads the people astray. So Abraham, Aaron, what about King Saul, 1 Samuel? First king, Saul, the first king of Israel was Saul. God said, listen, I'm I'm going to bring a king to your name. And what he's going to do is he's going to lead all of the people, if you will. And if you go back and read in 1 Samuel, there's always a problem with the people in in the fact that they're going to be in battle against the the Philistines, 1 Samuel. They're always doing battle. So what God said to to Samuel, I want you to go to him, and I want you to give some instruction to Saul. And what I want him to do is I'm going to want him to Wait. Before we go into battle, before I establish you as king, before I allow you to go in to fight the Philistines, I, I want him to do something. I'm going to give him a little bit of tests. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 8. This is the message from the Lord, from Samuel the prophet to Saul. It says this. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come to you to sacrifice burn offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you to do. Well, the Israelites gather to Gilgal. They're ready. They're ready. They're, they're knowing that they're going to go to battle against the Philistines. They, they gather. And there's a delay. And there's a delay. And there's a delay. And there's a delay. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five. And all of a sudden what's happening is the Philistines are out there. They know they've got to go to war with them. People begin to panic. All of a sudden, the the, the Israelites, they begin to run. They begin to hide in the caves. They're shaking with fear. Saul doesn't know what to do. What am I going to do? We're going to go to battle with these people. The people are quaking. The people are panicking, and I don't know what to do. Bring me the the, 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 uh, animals for the burnt offering, and I'm going to offer the burnt offering. I'm going to perform the duties of a priest, if you will. And as soon as he does that on day seven, guess who shows up? Samuel. Wow, what a coincidence, huh? 1 Samuel. Chapter 13, verse 13 says this. Samuel rebukes Saul and says this. You acted foolishly, Samuel said. You have not kept the command of the Lord, the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel forever and ever. Saul's impatience, his panic, his lack of waiting, his lack of... uh, of experiencing the presence of the God, the trust of the Lord, this panic of people putting pressure on him. What's going on? When are we going to go? All of this mesmerized his heart to take him away from what God would have him to do. And, and the reason I go through Abraham and the reason I go through Aaron and I, the reason I go through Saul is because of this. There's a common thread in all of this and the common thread is this. And patience ultimately is a lack of trust in the Lord. And patience ultimately is a lack of trusting the Lord for the place that I am in life, for the pace that's going on in my life, for the plan that God may have for my life, and, and the promises that God would have for my life. Impatience is, is saying to myself, listen, I, I know I'm supposed to be doing this, but, but I think I know better than God and what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to presume on God. Impatience is a form of disbelief. It's what I began to feel, what I began to question. God, is this really right? God, God is this a, a violation of maybe one of the promises that you've given to me? Am I going off on my own? Am I supposed to be waiting for you, Lord? It's that thing that feels deep down inside of our heart we think that we know better than God. Unbelief springs up in our hearts when our plans are interrupted, when our plans are delayed or our plans are shattered. It may be prompted by a long wait in the checkout line or the person in the car in front of you or it could be walking out into your garage and opening up the, opening up the freezer and in a nanosecond, seeing eight cans of soda roll off of the freezer and onto the ground not onto the carpet but onto the corner of the stair where they all smash and they all begin to spray soda all over the place and you're standing there and there's soda all over the place and your socks and your shoes are drenched in soda and you look around in the garage and there's soda on the cars this in the garage, and this sort of thing, and you stand there wondering, what just happened? And now my life has been reoriented, and I have to be interrupted by all of these things. The good news is this, that we don't have to wait in impatience. We don't have to live in that place. See, see the opposite of patience, impatience is not this glib denial of loss, or this resignation that nothing I can do can ever change. And it's not this idea that maybe... Maybe God has forgotten me, like Sarah thought. Maybe God has forgotten about me. It's none of those things. Patience is this, and I like the way that one man put it. It's a patience is a deepening, it's a ripening, it's a peaceful willingness to wait for God in the unplanned place of obedience, and to walk with God at the unplanned pace of obedience, to wait in His place and to wait in His pace. That's what it means for you and I to rest and trust in God. And that's what I want to look at this morning, this idea that God desires that we have patience as we wait in him, as we wait for the pace of life. What's interesting is this, if you were to look at uh, patience in the dictionary, the American Heritage Dictionary, it has this idea of, of waiting, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of calamities of life, in the midst of consequences of life. It has this idea of waiting and trusting. It has the idea of staying where you're at in the midst of all the things that are going on around you. I'm going to wait and I'm going to trust no matter what's going on in my life right now. That's the idea that we have. And when you look at the New Testament, this idea of patience, it it talks about and and reminds us of of, of being long-suffering, if you will, of of having this long fuse in life. That what God wants to do through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, He wants to empower us so that we can wait in Him. He wants to give us that self-control that helps us to bear up in the midst of the difficulties and the challenges of life. That God wants to work inside of us in the midst of the waiting, in the midst of the pace of life, in the midst of the place of life, in the midst of, the plan, in the midst of all of that, God wants to work inside of us to draw us and make us closer to Him. Life's not easy. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, in the context of relationships, in the context of difficulties, listen to what it says. It says, therefore... As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. In other words, wear wear this garment, if you will. Wear this garment of kindness, gentleness, compassion, and this patience. Let people around you see it. Bear with one another and forgive one another whatever grievances that you have with one another. See, God wants to allow us to have this kind of patience that comes not from the external circumstances, because a lot of times you can't control the external circumstances in life. But what I can control is how I respond. I can control my dependence upon the word of God. I can control on the Holy Spirit of God to work in ways that will help us. What's interesting about the word patience is this. A lot of times the word patience reminds us of the nature and the character of God. A lot of times when we look at the the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, we are directed to God. We are directed to the Spirit of God. We're directed to the, the, the person of Jesus Christ and who He is and what He would have in our life. And it's the same thought with the idea of patience. That what? God has been patient toward you. God has been patient toward me. Romans Chapter 2, verse 4 says this, or do you show contempt, notice what it says, for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience. God's riches has been demonstrated to us in his kindness, in his tolerance, and in his patience toward us, not realizing it's God's kindness that leads us <laughs> towards repentance. Do you realize that God could have wiped us out like he did the people during Noah? He could have wiped us out, but he doesn't. He's going, I'm going to be long. And patient and faithful and kind and gentle to you. Because what I'm doing is ultimately in all of those circumstances in life, all of the difficulties in life, all of the challenges in life, what I'm doing is I'm wooing you, I'm drawing you back to myself so that I can help you to be the kind of person that you are supposed to be, conformed ultimately to the image of Jesus Christ. God is patient with us and He's kind to us. Let me ask you something did you ever go back and think about your own salvation? Go back and think about mine. Lisa Borsch wrote to me for two years. as She wrote and told me about Jesus and about how Christ had changed her life and how Christ could change my life. Two years. And I'm sure I'm not any different than some of you. Some of you may not even know how long God was wooing you with his kindness, wooing you with his gentleness, wooing you with his perfect plan for our lives. So what I want to do is just very briefly, I want to look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And I'm going to give you one, one thought today. One thought. Notice what the text says, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. We looked at that, joy. Steve looked at peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. What I want to do is I want to look at this attribute, this virtue of patience this morning. So what might we learn about patience? There's a lot that we can look, a lot that we can glean from the Bible about patience. You could simply go home, open your Bible, and do a a study of the word patience. And you find a variety of examples. I want to just drive home one thought this morning. It's this, that patience is a virtue of our faith. Patience is a virtue of our faith. The Christian journey is a journey of faith. In other words, it's, 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 it's mountaintops, but it's all the, also deep, dark valleys. It, it's not a straight line. You see, what we want to do is—is is we want our lives to be planned out to the best of our ability, the best of our knowledge. Lord, I, I'm going to do this with Your blessing, Lord. I'm, I'm going to plan out my life. I, I'm going to go to school, and then maybe I'm going to go to college, and maybe go to grad school, and then I'm going to have—I'm going to get married, and I'm going to have two point five kids, and then I'm going to work for. Th- we we make plans that way, maybe not. Maybe not that wooden, but we make plans for our life. And it's good to make plans for our life. But sometimes what God does is God says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you on a jog over here or I'm going to move you over here. And in the midst of the jogs, in the midst of the highs, in the midst of the lows, in the midst of the valleys of life, what I'm going to do ultimately is I'm going to conform you to the image of my son. And I'm going to allow these experiences to come into your life because I care more about you and your character. And I love you. And God is a good God. God. And God is a loving God and God is a kind God and God always knows what's best for our life even when we can't feel it, even when we can't see it, even when we're in the place that we don't feel like it and even the plan that we don't feel like is good and even sometimes the purpose of where God may have us. God has called us in a life of journey. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. Notice what it says. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to God anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. We believe that God is, and that he's a order for those who earnestly seek him. And the the idea of earnestly seek him means this. I'm constantly pursuing him. Uh, It doesn't matter where I'm at in life. It's not just this salvation faith. Yeah, I put my faith and my trust in Jesus. Now I'm going to go live my life. No, I'm going to earnestly pursue God and who he is and his purposes and his plans for my life, even in the midst of the difficulties and challenges of life. See, we want our lives to be a straight line. We don't want the disruptions in life. We don't want the interruptions in life. We don't want those things because it it gets us off track. And what God says, you know what, in the midst of all that, that's where I am. Because what that's going to do is that's going to force you to be dependent more on me than it is on the external circumstances. What if those external circumstances never change in your life? And for a lot of people, they never change. But God says, even if those external circumstances do not or will not change, I can give you the patience that you need. Like what one man said. He said this, of of all the events that have shaped you most lastingly, how many did you engineer, manufacture, chase down, and how many of them were interruptions in your life? How many of them were interruptions? 2002. My mother-in-law said, you know, if you go to Denver Seminary, you can live with us. Huh? Where did that come from? That simple comment by my mother-in-law radically changed the plan for Laura and I because that gave me an opportunity to be able to leave here and go to Denver Seminary for two years. An, An interruption in my life that radically had a change of my life. Let me ask you something. As you reflect on your life, how many... Events came about in your life that were planned, that you knew the exact moment? Like, you knew the exact moment when you fell in love with that special person. Or, or that, that words, did you plan out the exact time when your little baby daughter or your little son would, would say their first words or take their first step? Did you know the exact moments of all those? Of course you don't. You can't manufacture that. None of us can. But what God does is sometimes in the zigs and his eggs of life, what God does is God works in those areas. He's working out His plan. He's working out the place that we're at. He's working out His purpose. And in all of those, all of those ultimately, Psalm 130, are according to the very promises of God. What I want to do is I want to walk through one time in the nation of Israel, one time in the nation of Israel where we see God causing the people of Israel to wait on him, but yet bringing out a good and godly purpose in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of all that was going on in their life. Let me just take you through that example. It's in the Old Testament where the people of God, the nation of Israel... Babylon has been destroyed. And they knew from the prophet Jeremiah that after 70 years, we're going to be able to go back. We're going to get to go back to our homeland. So they waited, and they waited, knowing that sometime Jeremiah gave them this prophecy, and after 70 years, they would go back. So what are the people doing? They're they're waiting. They're waiting on God. When's God going to bring this to fruition? We know it's 70 years. When is this going to happen, and how is it going to happen? Ezra chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, gives us the circumstances of how that would happen. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, a pagan king, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put in writing, this is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem and Judah. Any one of his people among you, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And notice what he says in verse 4. And the people of any place where survivors may now be living are to provide him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, with freewill offerings for the temple of God. Remember that last verse. What does God do? Out of the blue, God works in the heart of a pagan king and says, what I want you to do is I want you to create a document. I want you to create a proclamation where all of these people can go back to their homeland after 70 years. They've been waiting for 70 years. And God works in the heart of Cyrus to do that. And some 42,000 people, men and women, eventually Go back. and how It must have been a great time of celebration. Seven years in captivity, we're going back. We're going to rebuild the Jerusalem. We're going to rebuild our city. We're going to rebuild our homeland. This is it. God is once again blessing us. But then there's a problem. There's a problem. God allows some enemies to come in and to be able to take them off track and get them moving in the wrong direction. Again. Isn't that normally what happens? You think your life is good? Life's a straight line, and all of a sudden there's a jog. Ezra. Chapter 4, notice what happens to the Israelites and the people. Then the people around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and to make them afraid to go on building. They hired counselors to work against them and to frustrate their plans during the time, during the reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. At the beginning of the reign of Xerxes, they lodged an accusation against the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Imagine. God says, listen, I'm going to allow you to come back. And the decree has been issued. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of all of this, these people come alongside and to, to discourage them. Say, you can't rebuild that. No way you can do that. You need to stop. And by the way, this happened for a period of nine years. During the reign of Cyrus. it was nine years that they were experiencing all of this discomfort, all of this rebellion, all of this stuff going on as they waited on God, as they heard the discouragement. And what did they do? They, they, they began to be faithful to do the best that they can with what God has done. And eventually the work stops. Would they wait and trust him for what would happen in the future? Would they just give up? Would they just say, well, you know what? We didn't know what was going on, and maybe this is a part of God's plan. What we're going to do is we're just going to pack up, and we're going to try and figure out life on our own. We've got all these threats. We have people on the outside trying to hurt us. They're they're telling us not to do these things. They're telling us that we shouldn't be doing this. What are we going to do? they wait, and the work is stopped. Then, in the book of Ezra, we see why God allowed the persecution. We see why God allowed this stuff to happen, and what God ultimately would do. How God would be glorified, God would be honored, and God would respond. Ezra chapter 6, verse 6 says this, Now when Tatiana, governor of the trans-Euphrates, and Zavar, Bozaniah, and you, and their fellow officials of the province, stay away from there, stop going after them. Stop discouraging them. Do not interfere with the work of his temple of God. Let the governor of the Jews and the Jewish elders rebuild this house of God on this site. Moreover, I hereby decree that you are to do for these elders of the Jews in the construction of this house of God. The expenses of these men are to be fully paid out of the royal treasury from the revenues of the trans-Euphrates, so that the work will not be stopped. Do you see the reason for the zig? Do you see the reason for the zag? God says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to issue a decree, and all of this temple is going to be paid for by these pagan gods, by these pagan people. All they had to do was wait. All they had to do was trust in them. And God was going to come through at his particular point in time, wait in this place, wait according to his plan, Wait according to his purpose and hang on to the very promises of God. And what God is going to do in his perfect timing, he will come and help. And maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you're in a place of waiting. Uh, Maybe your plan is not coming to fruition the way that you would have it to do. And maybe you don't really know and understand your purpose. Maybe you don't really know what the promises of God are in the Bible. What God wants us to remember is that we can trust him in the waiting. We can wait on him. We can look to him. And what God is doing in the midst of the waiting, God is working in our hearts to conform us ultimately to the image of Jesus Christ. He's working in our hearts. Book of Hebrews chapter 6, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of falling away, Hebrews chapter 6 verse 7 says this. We do not want you to become lazy. That's what happens. When our plans are frustrated, when when maybe there's persecution or stuff going on, we wouldn't call it lazy, but what do we do? We resign ourselves. We give up. We just say sit around passively. Well, I'm just going to go about my life. Notice it says, We don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate what? Those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. In other words, we look to the word of God. We know and understand the promises of God. We know who he is. We know what he's done for us. We know that he does not plan to harm us. We know that he's working, shaping our lives to conform us ultimately into the image of Jesus Christ. And yet we wait on him and we trust him for good. Let me ask you something. Are you waiting and I could give you a list of things that I'm waiting for. A list of things that I'm waiting for. I'm sure I'm any different than you. You're waiting. You're trusting. Romans chapter 8 verse 25 says this, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Oh, really? I don't want to wait patiently. I want to wait in another way. We, we wait patiently for who God is and what he would have for our life. One man said this about waiting. Waiting is a period of learning. The longer we wait... The more we hear about him, the more we hear about him for whom we are waiting. In other words, in in the midst of the waiting, I'm learning about God. In the midst of the waiting, I'm learning how the Holy Spirit is working in my life. In the midst of the waiting, I'm probably a testimony to others about who God is and what he would have in my life. God is still working in the waiting. I may not see it. I may not experience it, but God is in the midst of the waiting working with us. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Romans chapter 8, and then I'm done with this, says this. Waiting, this is a paraphrase of of Romans chapter 8, verse 22. Waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. You get that? We're enlarged in the waiting. Why? Because we're waiting, we're trusting in the Lord. For his place of where we're at. For the pace of life that he would have for us. For God's ultimately wise and wonderful and beautiful plan. All of those are ultimately related to the promises of God. By the way, you could go back and read Psalm 130, and there's a correlation between waiting and trusting in the Lord and the promises of God. Go back and read Psalm 130 as we leave. Okay. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to take a moment to pray and when I want to make a transition to the communion table. We have the bread, we have the cup. This morning is a wonderful opportunity for us to remember the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done for us. And we can wait on him because of what he's done for us. So bow your heads with me. Let me just pray before we take the bread and the cup together. Father, thank you for your goodness. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your protection. Thank you for your perfection. And Father, I, I would imagine that there's, a, there's people waiting in here, Lord. I, I don't know what they're waiting for. Maybe they're waiting for something to happen. Maybe it's a new job, or, or maybe they're, they're waiting on a, some kind of a diagnosis or a call or, or, or whatever. Father, in the midst of our waiting, I, I pray that the Spirit of God will work in and through us as we trust in you for the place that we would be, the plan that you would have for us. And Father, that you would give us strength, and that you would speak to us, and that you would encourage us about who we are, where we're at, and what ultimately you are doing in our lives to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us to bear up in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of waiting. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.